Charlie Smith leads the charge not only at one of Southwestern Ontario's most successful bars, Joe Cool's, but also at Toboggan Brewing Company, Runt Club, and Fellini Collini's, all wildly different concepts that are loved by locals in their own right. Today, we'll get into Charlie's greatest lessons learned growing up alongside his dad turning Joe Cool's into the institution it is today, what he's learned to helping dozens of small businesses with their marketing and advertising, and what he's doing now to scale his organization bigger than ever. Let's get into it. Welcome to Guest Getter, the best place for restaurateurs to learn the art and science of getting more new guests, getting guests coming back more often, and getting guests spending more per visit so that you can be more profitable and do more of what you love. My name's Kyle Guilfoyle. Let's hit it. Hey, Charlie. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing great, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. I'm super excited. I I love starting these episodes off with a little value nugget. And the way I like to extract that is by asking you, Charlie, what is one thing you wish you had learned years ago? That's a great question. And I could probably think of a lot of answers to it. But the big one would be, there's a saying, how do you eat an elephant a bite at a time? And it's, it's mainly patience and trusting the process. And there's going to be days where you get discouraged and don't get a ton done. And there's going to be days where you're really productive. But as long as you stay focused on the bigger picture and just, again, trust that process and inch forward, you'll get there. And it's easy to reflect back and think about things you've accomplished. And when you really think about it, they didn't happen overnight. And I, I think that's a good lesson I've learned is just like some like big things and successful things take a really long time to unravel and just working on it every day and not getting overwhelmed is probably an important lesson to learn at a young age. Absolutely. And speaking of young age, I think you're particularly interesting because you grew up watching or being part of even, I, I imagine your dad growing Joe Cools in London, Ontario, which is my, my hunch is it is one of the most financially successful bars in Southwestern Ontario. It is like a local institution for sure. And so I see, I see you like my limited perspective of you, but I see there are these three phases that I think are particularly interesting. One is, one is you growing up alongside your dad and, and him building the business. And, and then there's you, I believe you went off to school, you studied some marketing and media stuff and you got clients of your own. And then now in this phase, you are running the show at Joe Cool's, Toboggan Brewing, uh, Run Club and Fellini Collini's. And so I feel like all three of those epic, epic, E-P-O-C-H, whatever the word is, all three of those phases have like unique nuggets. And so I'd love to, I'd love it if you could take us back to you growing up and share with us any, any lessons that you, you learned maybe early on. Would you be able to do that? Yeah, of course. I think there's a lot to unpack there for sure, but I'll start, I'll go back as far as I can remember. And it was a fun experience growing up because we were, it felt like we had one massive family. My dad was very close to our staff and still is, and quite a large staff amongst all the, the places. And we, we had more locations back then too. So as you can imagine it, anywhere between 500 employees and maybe more. And so there was always people around, um, a lot of parties around the house and such, and 
lot of characters. And I think that that influenced me at a young age that this industry is great for the people, the employees, the customers is you've got people from all walks of life, different backgrounds, different educations. And it's just, it's just really great to uh, be around that all the time. And you think about how a lot of people grow up and it's, they might only be exposed to the neighborhood they grow up in or the university they go to, or just inside their tiny bubble. But getting to be around like so many different kinds of people all the time was a very important part of my childhood for sure. So that's yeah. kind of how th things started off. Yeah. I just want to like, I want to pause on that for, for a second. We, in our bartender training program, one of the, one of the things we open up with is like, people don't, they don't appreciate the scale at which you meet people when you're, when you're bartending, for example, like a bartender will meet more people in one night than most people do in a year. So it's. And, and to, for you to have, have that at many different establishments, I, I can yep. imagine it was pretty amplified. Anyways, I, I feel like I interrupted you. You make a good point. Like it's the same thing with, I guess you can compare it to salon owners or barbers, for example, comparing that to bartending is you can branch off into a lot of different, different areas. Once you've established like a career in the hospitality field, cause you pull from all different walks of life. So. It can create a lot of opportunity if you ever want to get out, right? Which I've seen over the years too, but okay. What's, what's next then? So, okay. So, you know, the industry and all the characters, people yeah. met along the way, they left an indelible mark on you. And so mm. you decided that you, yeah, what was the decision? Was it, I want to be part of this industry for the long haul or, or what did that, that look like? That age? No, I was just focused on being a kid. And my dad has a really big creative side to him. And mm -hmm. like, that's definitely reflected in the restaurants. If you've ever been in any of them is his creativeness. And I inherited that gene too. And growing up, I was obsessed with making home videos and I really was set on going into the movie industry at some point. And that's, I went to film school initially before transferring into marketing. And that was the big goal, but. As it's a pretty tough industry to crack into. And when the bills start coming in, you need to make a game time decision. So I ended up going into advertising because you could still, you could still utilize that creative side of yourself, but make a okay living as well. So it stuck with that. And after graduating, I decided I wanted to try at least have a shot at working for myself. I wasn't interested in moving to a big city. And a lot of my peers did in working for a big agency. I really wanted to focus on being back home, being close to family, being close to friends, which I value a lot. And basically just bought some dress shirts and went door to door and utilized any sort of contacts I could find through my uh, personal network. And it was a slow start, but I was very motivated. And for someone in their early twenties, like really had to make some social sacrifices. Like you'd have friends going out on the weekend and sometimes you just had to work through the entire weekend. Um, cause you have no help, you have no employees, right? You know how it is. That was great. And a lot of opportunities came from that. And I got to work on some fun projects. There was some really good clients involved. And looking back, it, it, it's fun just seeing everything you got to work on and it's really rewarding. Cause it, it gives you that confidence at a young age that you can actually accomplish something. And if, if it wasn't for that, I think I would, I think I've had a lot harder time pivoting into the role I am now. You need to see that personal success at some point, if you want to be running any sort of business, right? 
Yeah, like the success breeds confidence. And I think when you're leading people, you that confidence is super important. Yeah, look, I was given a really good opportunity. I, I've worked at the restaurants for about eight years, um, but as far as a leadership role, it's only been since COVID, not when I pivoted into a more serious role because there was so much downtime, there's time to learn a lot and just learn the ropes. But if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for like my early career uh, and build that like self-confidence, I, I don't think it would have worked out the same because you can't really be given a leadership position without earning anything yourself. I'm sure you've seen it in the real world and it doesn't always go. Yeah, for sure. I'd actually love to take a step back and you said that you were going door to door. I'd be really curious to know what exactly you were, you were pitching or selling when you were doing that. Yeah, at the time, I didn't really have one skill set as far as digital marketing or marketing went that I could really brag a ton about as jack of all trades, master of none type situation. I knew I could offer value and I could help my clients grow their business for a decent price. Mm -hmm. And already doing some work for the restaurants, I, I dealt with a lot of situations where people were coming in and pitching a service. And since margins are so slim in the restaurant industry, there's a lot of times where I had to be like, you know what, this probably isn't going to work. Like we're probably going to spend more than we're going to get back. The first steps in, in my pitches were really getting to know their business mm -hmm. and seeing what their margins were like. And at the time, like the strategy would be building digital ads, whether it's through social media or Google ads and see what kind of conversions I could get them and what kind of, what kind of revenue increases you'd see from it and whatnot. But the step would be go in, learn about their business, create content for them, usually pictures and videos, turn those into ads and scale it. And I was very honest, very open about what I was doing. And if we weren't seeing a good return on investment, I would be very transparent about it and give them the option to continue with me and, and working out a different strategy or just being like shake hands and be like, I'm sorry, this didn't work. I tried my hardest. So that opened up a lot of uh, referrals for me. So the cold calling stage was actually pretty short lived, uh, which I'm pretty happy about because, uh, I didn't enjoy it. You can understand and referrals are so great. So I think that meant a lot to me was I'm very hard on myself at times. And as, as pretty insecure starting my business and wondering, is this going to work? Am I going to be able to provide value? And by getting so many referrals, it was, it was the reassurance I needed. I must be doing something right. And that was the initial process to getting business was just charging a really fair price and putting in an extra 10% of work on everything. And the customers felt like they got that value and referred me to their, their friends and whatnot. That's, that's super interesting. I didn't know that, that you, like, I, I knew you had a background in, in advertising and stuff like that. I'd be really curious to know what kinds of, aside from paying attention to revenue and seeing how that all tracks. I'd be really curious what other kinds of conversions you were, you were after. Like as far as. It's when we run a lot of our stuff, it's we're looking for leads for events or we're looking for people to opt in for our offers. And those are like, those are the kinds of conversions that we are tracking. Right. And I'm wondering, were the conversions that you were tracking back then similar to that? Or was it like, was it purely just revenue? Yeah. Initially I'd, I'd look at their weaknesses other than like their business model and their margins. I'd look at their weaknesses. What does their social media presence look like? Are they the type of business that would benefit a lot from a professional looking 
social media channel? Do they need to invest more in Instagram? Or is this, for example, a hearing clinic that 80, 90% of their customers are 70 plus? Because there's so much money to be spent now in digital marketing and every business feels the pressure to be competitive on social media. Yeah, anywhere from like doctor's offices, dentists, hearing clinics, like in the, like the medical side. And I see a lot of money being spent on content creation. And I, to be honest with you, I'd like to see that money be spent more on getting bookings and appointments. Like that's their, their margins are so huge on that side. That's where really they should be focused their money on. It's not as fun. And I think there's some vanity to it where they want to look like a hip practice or something. I don't know. It's, I don't want to bash anyone, but that a lot. And so that's the big thing is I'd look for clients that had really big margins and low volume. So if they moved. It, it could be luxury retail where if they moved, let's say one of my clients, they had really, they sold high-end eyewear and frames of glasses that could cost over a thousand dollars. So if, if they move one pair or two pairs, it's going to pay for that month's campaign budget. So that's what I'd focus on is trying to, to find clients that would really benefit where they have the money to spend to get one or two or even three conversions at the minimum. So I try to avoid people or sorry, clients that it would take a lot of money and time for them to actually start to see. I was looking for business models that were actually like a need. It wasn't mm -hmm. just necessarily like for a restaurant, for example, it's you're spending your extra money at entertainment. So it's mm -hmm. harder to convince someone to come in, but for a hearing clinic, they might, they're going deaf. They need to buy hearing yeah. aids. Yeah, exactly. So as much as I preferred the creative side of marketing and taking photos, taking videos, turning those into ads. I, was, I actually, it, it ended up changing after a few years and I became more interested on, in an analytics and the actual nuts and bolts of a marketing campaign and a, a successful marketing campaign. So when, I'm sure you know this feeling, but when you build out your first like really successful campaign where you see like all those clicks, all those conversions, they're at a good price. It's such a rewarding feeling. And then you can't wait to show it to your client. That's like the second thing. And um, yeah. seeing their reaction, it, could, it really solidifies it to them. Look, here's living proof that I'm making you money. And that's yeah. a great feeling. That's the thing. Or like when they come and they're like, we just, like, we just shattered a sales record. That's, that's where I'm like, yes. I will say it. You might find this interesting is that I've had a, I've had a couple clients come at me saying that they, they just blew past sales records. And there were two Two trades. One, one we've explored quite a bit together, and that is they had a really good offer. The other thing that is unique is that they were spending at least thirty bucks a day to advertise that offer, which is generally usually at default to, to ten bucks a day at the local level. That's yeah, that's not standard. Pretty, yeah, pretty standard. But that was a little bit of an aha that in the next year I'd like to uh, test a bit more. But yeah, that's that is the the holy grail right there. When someone comes and they say that they're uh, blowing past sales records, I'd love to. I'd love to see, hear a bit about how you felt or how you feel your experience in advertising, building your own business and getting clients, how that has now translated into your role where you're, you're working, running the show. Have there been any ahas or, or insights that you have deployed maybe on an ongoing basis or consistently to drive revenue results, anything like that? Unfortunately. As time's gone on in the last couple of years, I've found it very difficult to focus and focus on any sort of organized marketing strategies that I've built out myself. And hence why you and I work together now. 
I think that for me, it, it takes a lot of time and focus and is working in the hospitality industry. It's constantly putting out fires and you might think you have four hours sectioned off to work on something and that could easily turn into having only 20 minutes. And so I always, I still do to this day, convince myself that I will somehow find time or make time to do more of it. And I'm starting to accept that's probably not the case as much as I'd like to. What's great is I can still be creative and come up with ideas and execute them, but I have to let go and find other professionals to do it. And that's always been hard for me. I, I don't want to call myself a control freak, but there's, there's certain things about our restaurants. Uh, it's 40 years of what a, a combination of humor, tongue in cheek. It's a big personality. And I feel like it's difficult to hire someone to put that online. You really have to be in there to see it. So it's a very hard business to market. And I think that I still like having that control over it, but I just wish I had more time. So to answer your question, yeah, it's been difficult being. Yeah, for sure. I get that. And okay. So I'm, I mentioned early on that one of the, what I'm really interested in these days are like understanding the principles of generational restaurants, you know, a restaurant that is an asset that is mm -hmm. worth passing down from generation yeah. to generation. And it also builds abundance and financial wealth and that sort of thing. And Joe Cool's absolutely fits that bill to a T. On the other, I, didn't, I haven't mentioned this to you before, but on the other side of that coin is a concept I called cold start restaurants. And these are restaurants that start from essentially nothing and mm -hmm. you know, become runaway successes. And so anyways, I'd be curious if you could unpack what you think the principles of Joe Cool's and it's, it's, success are? Mm -hmm. I know all the big question, but would, would you be able to? Yeah. So I blame, well, there's a lot to answer here. First off, we, we got to talk about the restaurant model in general. And if you're ever, if you are interested in opening a bar or restaurant, especially in Ontario, I would suggest not doing it. Like, I don't want to uh, discourage anyone. If, if you're really obsessed with the idea and it's the only thing you've ever wanted to do and you can't shake it, then maybe give it a go. But, um, I don't know the exact statistics. Sure, you can look them up, but the failure rate is really high, especially in today's climate. So mm -hmm. it's good. It's a difficult thing to do. It's difficult to succeed. It could take years and we've been very fortunate. We've got great staff, great patrons that have kept us going and to be able to make it 40 years in this industry and in this country, in this province is not easy. So it's something we're very proud about. Cools is 40, our other restaurant, Fellini Cleanies is 30. Toboggan, which was Jim Bob's, opened in 1991. So also quite a long time, right? So I blame a lot of Cools' success on having an amazing staff. It's if you have employees that are treated well and enjoy where they work and you don't throw the corporate book at them and be like, here's the million rules you got to follow. Cause that just sucks the personality of your staff. Yeah. Like when you think about a bar, because there's so many different kinds of dining experiences from fine dining to a casual sports bar. Cools is, I can't really explain it in one word of exactly what it is, but it, it's a whole bunch of different things, but the easiest way to define it is it's a fun place. So your staff need to be themselves. You want personality. You want people that can be themselves. You're not overly tight on dress code. And so you might walk in one night and you've got a 65 year old bartender who's throwing limes at customers, like something you just might not see at a normal restaurant. A lot of it's based on just authenticity, like just being real and not pretending to be someone else and not trying to be something you're not. And I think 
customers, especially in this day and age, appreciate that. It's hard to find something that's does it. I, I don't know how to put it, but it just feels real. And the other element is it's inspired by a dive bar you might find in like Detroit or Chicago. There's a lot of like American elements to it. So even though it's 40 years, it might feel like it's even older than that, like 80 to a hundred year old bar, right? It's like, you want to maintain the place and keep it sanitary, but you also want to look like you don't want to dust everything too, right? You want it to look retro. So for us, it's London's a big enough city where you have a lot of potential customers, but you're not competing like you would be in Toronto where there is a lot of creativity and ambition. And so you, you have a decent chance at pulling people in. And then the other half of that is London's also an interesting city in the aspect of people are, they, they love their creature comforts with restaurants, right? You've got really successful chains like Krabby Joe's and the keg and the offer safe items, I guess you could say on their menu, safe experiences are going to get the same thing every time you go. And London's really a big fan of that. So I think like we do things drastically different. So anyone that doesn't fall into that category appreciates us. The second part to why I think it, it's done well over the years is treating the customers too. Like whether it's you, you have, you have a crowd of people coming to the bar at 5 PM on a Friday, let's say it's a bunch of suits that just came off work at city hall. And then there's you guys sitting at the end of the bar who might be a trades guy and might feel like he doesn't fit in with this crowd. You buy that guy a beer or a couple beers, make them feel at home, talk to them. And by that, by instilling that strategy from day one, I think my dad was able to build an environment where there is no preconceived notion of this is like a white collar bar. This is a blue collar bar. It's just everyone's welcome. Everyone fits in. There's no dress code. You could people in a blazer, people in the dirty white t-shirt to this got off the construction site. And so it, it, everyone feels at home and it's rare to find places like that, where like you can just fit in and you're not going to stand out. And then by doing that, people let their guard down and they socialize better. They meet other people better and it, it creates a laid back atmosphere in that sense. So. Yeah. I feel like that's so powerful and weirdly underused is just, just, you do have the power and I believe it is totally legal to buy your patrons a drink to reward loyalty. You can't advertise free booze or like use alcohol or free, yeah, free alcohol as an incentive to come in through the doors. But once they're in the doors, you are allowed to reward them, you know, reward that loyalty with, with a drink. And considering the margins are so high on liquor and beer, why not do that more often, especially when the impact is like, it can be exponential, right? Like yeah. when, when they, it's that common saying, right? The old adage, like people never remember what you say. They remember how you made them feel. And you do that for someone and they're not expecting it. It's just like, it's because no one does it for people. And so you, every single shift, we have that power. And I believe yeah. my, my lunch is that at Cools, I think part of probably why the staff love it there is I think they're given ownership. Like, like Mike, I don't know this for sure, but it's a sense I get that, like you say, like you can buy someone a drink and just promote or, or whatever. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I do think that when people have that sense of ownership, like they're, they're more bought in, they're going to stay longer, mm -hmm. they treat folks better. And, and yeah, so I, I love that. It also reminds me, I heard Josh Copel, he's this other kind of restaurant marketing fellow. I think he'd like his stuff. He said that one of his clients there, I think he said that like 
he could summarize their whole strategy. Marketing strategy was food in mouth strategy. It's just if we can get our food and our drinks into people's mouths, and he was essentially like talking about sampling and, and giving mm -hmm. stuff away. He knew that people would come back. And so that was Costco. Oh, yeah. From those three samples. It's, it, it's a good, it's a good strategy. I think the thing is, it's not, don't think about it as a strategy. It's, I look at these big, these massive chains and there's a lot they do and I, I respect them for it, but our way of doing things is this different. We don't have those, you're not getting a big textbook that you have to read when you're getting hired. Yeah. You got to do your job. You got to be professional, but we don't want to get rid of your, the personality. That's what makes a bar great. And I, I just, I had a really good point and I, I just lost my train of thought, but yeah, just going back to that, whether it's buying around and making people feel at home is the thing I've noticed that's really died in our industry is the kind of the old school ownership or management coming over and having a table side chat is yeah. I can't recall, maybe I'm not going to the right places, but I rarely see it anymore where you're at a place, even for the first time. And someone comes by and just asks you how your meal is, or if you're enjoying things, that's not the server and just getting to know you, that makes such a big difference. And I, I don't mean it out of a way as like to build business. It's just like out of respect, like these people are, are the ones that are taking care of you and keeping the lights on. So it's good to show appreciation, not just to your regular customers, but to sell like an unfamiliar face that might be there for the first time. It's it, what it takes, what, just two minutes to go over there or less just acknowledge them. Right. And I, I think that's something that's just been lost in our industry. And I'd love to see it come back as that old school service. For sure. Yeah. Do you know Danny Meyer setting the table? Yeah. A huge fan. I have his audio CD, which was gifted to me by my dad. It awesome. had some scratches and dust on it, but I kept it in my 2004 Chrysler C-Ring for about two years. And it was the only thing I listened to. What was the CD? It was, I don't know if you, I'm sure he has multiple books now, but this would have come out probably around the time, probably early 2000s, 2003, maybe. I forget if it's How to Dine or something. Can't remember the title, but it's probably his most famous book. Really just pull it up. Because I highly recommend it to anyone that's ever ever getting into the restaurant industry or wanting to open their own place. Are currently in it. It's just like a book of some of the best strategies to running a successful place. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I've read Setting the Table, um, but I've Setting the Table, that's it. Setting the Table. Oh, it is Setting the Table? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. So that's great. Was there another, so was there another principle that you wanted to share about what you quote unquote blame, blame Joe Cool's success on? Oh man, there's an endless list and I'm not great with thinking things off the top of my head, but I think a lot of his community involvement and Mike's done a great job just looking out for downtown. He started a fund called the Joe League, which the staff participate in, and that goes towards funding sports league that's now run by the one in police and it helps kids that come from low-income neighborhoods be able to play baseball and basketball as well in a league a professional league and the london majors are involved london lightning was involved with the basketball one and just not doing not just paying for your logo on a jersey is actually getting involved as your community and one in cleaning green as well was one of the founders of that and it's still run to this day by the city i think it's just not just looking after your finance and balance book and trying to run a successful business is actually like getting involved with the community and branching out and, and meeting people. And I think that out of everything come to think about, that's probably what's 
helped us stay successful for so long is not, we're not just like a fun bar to hang out at. It's just like, we've, we have so many connections and relationships with the people of London that there's a lot of loyalty there. And that helped us a lot through COVID. A lot of people showed up, ordered takeout, ordered delivery, and it's just a lot to appreciate, right? It's, yeah. We've built yeah. so many relationships over the years and it's one big family, one big community that, that supports each other. For sure. And you, this sort of an aside, you might absolutely hate it, but something I can't shake is just, it's just getting like a photo of you, Mike, your like, who's your dad and your brother, Sam. And just, just because I didn't know that it, it was like a family affair. And I, I, my hunch is people would like really connect with that in the community, especially since you guys are in the community. Anyways, we can talk about that another time, but I would love to close off here by just segueing into a bit about something we're focusing on now. We ran a little bit of an experiment like a month or so ago where what we're seeking to do is build out the special event and catering side of the business a little bit more. And I'd love it if you could just give a bit of a play-by-play -play of what we've done and, and how it's gone so far. It's gone great. And I want to say it's probably my inner pessimism, but I always, always I don't know if skeptical is the right word, but I, going into any sort of campaign, I'm always prepared to see like bad results and it's Kyle, you, you do a great job and this campaign has actually been really successful and everyone's happy about it. But I just, it's marketing restaurants and bars is so difficult. And I think that I've sat down with a lot of people that claim to have a solution and coming from a marketing background, I, I have a pretty good idea in my head of what will work and what won't. And it's very difficult. There is some cynicism going into a new campaign strategy. And this was one that was really interesting because we're lucky enough to have a lot of space, private function space to offer our customers. And it's just additional revenue, right? If you have a space that's not being used and you can book a party of 30 to 150 people, like that, that can do a lot for you. So. Kyle and I just thought, what's, let's utilize that. Let's build out a campaign and, and try to get leads, like look for people that are booking parties and fill these spaces up. And we, we found, we're trying to find ways to entice people to book it, competitive, competitive fees and whatnot to make this worthwhile to anyone that wants to host something. And so we put it out there with no expectations and just did a test and after 20 leads had come in, we paused it because lead conversions can be quite expensive. So we're, we just wanted to pause it and follow up on them and, and see if anything came from it. And we were very fortunate because 50% turned into either caterings or group bookings and some of them quite large. So I was blown away. I was actually really pumped to tell you Kyle about it and you were just as excited as I was. So now we're, we're starting to scale that. And it's been one of the more fun campaigns of worked on and not just because like it's benefiting us, but just to see something that successful, it feels great. For sure. Yeah. I, again, I really appreciate that you, you called me and let me, let me know about the, the conversion, the results on the leads. And, and I think it's, it's, I know not every restaurateur has the, they haven't grown quite as much. You have multiple locations. And so I think like whenever you find something like that, that works, it's like, the excitement can be compounded because you can scale that to the other locations and really like build something that can over, over a long enough time horizon, just like absolutely crush it. Not only for the business, this sounds a little savage, but like you can eat the competition alive and I'll be transparent. I'm, I'm competitive. And when it comes to my, like my clients or any work I do, like I, I do, there is that little piece of me that wants to 
just crush competition while building up the industry. Yeah, competition's important, especially yeah. for restaurants, because you look at some like a one horse town that has one restaurant downtown. Yeah. They can have inconsistent service and bad food and mm-hmm. the bad customer experiences, but they're the only option. So I like seeing. I'm sure there's restaurant owners that see a new place pop up on the street and they get worried or concerned and they want to crush them. But honestly, like I love seeing other places pop up. Downtown London's had a lot of hardship in the last 10 years. And anytime I see a vacancy filled with a new restaurant, yeah, I'm thinking this probably, this might affect us, but I'm happy because you need to work harder because of it and Mm -hmm. to succeed. But also it's healthy competition and it's better for, for downtown. So. I, I actually entertain it. Like, I'm happy to see it. 100%. Okay, Charlie, I want to be respectful of your time. I, I think you have released quite a number of excellent nuggets. Uh, would you be open for a really quick rapid fire round of, uh, of questions to close us off here? Yeah, I'll do my best. Okay, awesome. Charlie, what is your favorite cocktail? Martinis. Okay, what is, what is your favorite gin in a martini or vodka? I'm not a stickler for an exact brand, but I do love, I love Bombay. That fire, it's a safe bet for me. Nice. Then I, I take it you're a, you're an olives guy as opposed to a twist? Definitely an olives guy. Yeah. Awesome. What book, tool, or resource, aside from Setting the Table by Danny Meyer, has had the biggest impact? There, there are a lot of books and the one I'm probably going to pick is it's very cliche but it's how to win friends and influence people. And I know they've, they've rewritten it for modern times, but it's a book you'll always hear the name of. It's a very cliche book to read, but I think anyone can benefit from it. There's a lot to learn from that book and how to treat people, especially if you're in a leadership position. It's a really important book to read. Awesome. What's, what are you most excited about over the next six to 12 months? Just getting to work and trying to keep growing our businesses, staying productive. Awesome. And is there anything I should have asked you, but I did not? Probably, but I, no, I think you asked all great questions. And if you asked any more, I'd probably just keep talking for too long. So I think we reached a good number. We can always do a, we can always do a round two at some point. Is there any place you'd like to, to send people to either check out or connect with you or, or anything like that? As far as like other restaurants go. Yeah. I got a couple of places in mind, if that's what you mean. Yeah, sure. Hit us. Yeah. Just, I just want to give a local shout out to Chaucer's and the Marion Bad Pub. Great Eastern European food and good selection of European beers. Che Resto Bar on Dundas Street. Great South American cuisine. And Marvin, the owner, is one of the best guys I've ever met. And he's got a great tequila selection. Those are two of my favorite places to get to when I'm not working. Awesome. I'll be sure to. I've been to Chaucer's, but never Che Resto Bar. And how about you? Just you. Would, do you want to send people off to check out Joe Cools or hit, hit you up on LinkedIn? Anything like that? Yeah, if you, if you want to come down to Joe Cools, you, there's a very high probability you might experience slow service and inconsistencies, but I guarantee you will have a fun time and there's a lot to look at on the walls to keep you entertained. So if, if it's a first date and you're scared it might be boring or go south, you'll at least have something to look at on the wall. Awesome. All right, Charlie, thanks. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. It's always good connecting with you and chatting. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Guest Getter. I'm your host, Kyle Guilfoyle. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. As always, you can head over to guestgetter.co to check out the resources in this episode's show notes and sign up for our newsletter. That is it for today. We'll see you next time.